Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Perak Vav of Sefer Mishlei, Chapter 6 of the Book of Mishlei, and today's uh, commentator will be the Ralbag, who actually interrupts himself in the middle of our chapter to list 19 lessons that have been learned from the beginning of Mishlei until now, which uh, is something the Ralbag commonly does in others frame as well, where he'll stop at a certain point and, and summarize the lessons that you've gotten, because he sees Navi and Tanakh in general as a vehicle of lessons. I do too, uh, and I think most of us do. But I note it because, first, I'm going to stop myself in the middle and do some of them, but not all. There are 19. They're very rich. But also that it shows that he completely ignores the question of Prakim in Mishle as the tr- as what we tend to publish in our books. Because we've noted on other occasions that uh, the the, the splitting of the chapters is really done by a non-Jewish sources. In the case of Mishnah, we've noted also that uh, verse to verse, sometimes you have changes and switches. So the Wabag is completely ignoring the chapter designation. He's stopping in the middle at some point saying, now we have 19 lessons that we've learned. Well, we, we'll, we'll stop there. You'll see that. Uh, Pasuk Aleph, though, starts with a discussion of being an arave a guarantor for somebody else's loan. So the Pasuk says, If you have become an Arev, a guarantor for your friend, they'll turn into a stranger. It's as if you did it for a stranger, meaning they might at some point default on that loan and you'll be stuck with it. So the guarantor is. Somebody goes for a loan, they do not have sufficient backing that the lender is willing in our credit crisis times I hope by the time you listen to this, the credit crisis will be over. But in our credit crisis times, it's the kind of thing that you notice a lot, that lenders are now much, much more leery. So if somebody brings a guarantor, the worry that you need to keep in mind is that maybe they'll default on the loan. And that's what Mishle is stressing here. Now, when I've spoken about this on, uh, in my home shul at the Riverdale Jewish Center, people pointed out, but you're supposed to be an RAV, you're doing a great favor for somebody else. So that's true. And in a later chapter, Rabbi Yona will say that uh, explicitly. He'll say that when Tzadikim become Arivim, they don't care. They understand that the money is probably forfeit. But since the Rabbag is going to read this, is not only about money. We'll see. And the question will be, let's say I become a guarantor, not because I have the money to forfeit, but because I'm trying to help somebody and I don't have the money to forfeit. And it will be my house that will be foreclosed if this other person doesn't uh, forfeits on the loan. That's sort of the case to think about. So uh, the Mishle says, if the words of your mouth have caught you up, you're now trapped, and you have a problem because you have a lender. He has the power and the ability to really make your life terrible in some way by something that you've done. Mishle therefore recommends. Do this to execute yourself because you're now in the power of the lender. I would have thought maybe you're in the power of the borrower and you should go. So lechitrapace means go and beg. Go and grovel and try to uh, plead, please your fellow person. I might have thought it meant try to get, be sure that the lender will pay off his loan. But the rabbi would not understand it that way. Let me just finish the series and then we'll see. Don't let yourself sleep. Don't let your eyes have any any closure, any uh, dozing. Run and flee like animals that notice that they're about to be trapped, like deer, like birds who are trying to get away from traps. Who is it you're going to go to and try to beg from? So the Ralbag says... Um, that it's uh, the lender. And then he gives us the metaphor. We're going to see at the end of the parak 
the Rabag will not see something as a metaphor or not bring up the metaphor aspect of it in a striking way at the end of this paragraph. But here, he says this also applies. He doesn't say it's not about the money issue. It's certainly about the money issue as well. If uh, I have become the guarantor for a friend, that friend has borrowed $10 million and I'm at the value of all my assets is only $9.5 million. And, if the, and I become the guarantor. This guy defaults on the loan. I will lose everything. I have a problem, especially if I now find out that the borrower will not be faithful. I'm really stuck. I might have thought I should go beg for the borrower, but if the borrower is not going to be faithful, I'm still stuck. So that is the scenario Relbag is dealing with. And he says, And that is our situation as well of the human intellect regarding the appetitive part of ourselves. This is a very medieval, and medieval I don't mean it in a negative way at all, this is a very Rishonim style of worry, the sense and the acknowledgement that our physical sides for the Rishonim were dangerous to us. Now, we nowadays like to say that they also have very positive aspects. That may be true. The Rishonim didn't stress that. The Rishonim saw the danger aspect. What's the danger aspect? People get caught up in their physical sides. And the intellectual sides of ourselves, the Ral Bag says, doesn't get any pleasure from the physical side. We nowadays might say it's not true that by exploring the physical to some extent, it might expand our intellects, expand our appreciation of the world, our understanding of how the world works, there is an argument to be made. So I don't want to be taken to be extremely on the Rishonim side. I want to get a sense of what the Rabag is saying. And the intellect of ours, or the immortal soul of ours, is the one that is the guarantor for this appetitive appetite. Meaning, if I decide that I love pork, and I start having pork, which is a violation of the Torah, who's going to pay for that? Who, who longs for it, and who pays for it? Well, my physical side longs for it, but my whole self, including my in the Ralbag's phrase, my intellect, but by which he means my nefesh, my essence, my humanity, will pay for it. So what should I do? I should go to the lender. Who is the lender in this case? The lender is Hashem Yisbarach, is Hashem, which is sort of a Mishnah Pirkei Avod, that uh, the Balabait, the Chanut Ptucha, the store is open, you can borrow, but they're keeping a record of it. So here too, it's like when we use our physical signs inappropriately, we're borrowing from Hashem, and the guarantor of that loan is our souls. And so what should we do? The Ralbag says you should go to Hashem and go and submit before Him, just like I might go to that lender and try to say, I didn't know what I was doing, I was wrong, I was crazy, but please let me keep my house. Please don't forego my house so my kids don't go in the street. Here too, the Ralbag is recommending a similar attitude towards Hashem in regards to our physical sides. And we should try as hard as we can to learn better. He says, In wisdom and understanding. Meaning we should be attempting always to work harder to understand Hashem. And this, pardon the editorializing, if it's outside of the realms of what the Ralbag is saying, but this is the kind of thing what the Ralbag is saying, that we should be focusing our efforts on understanding Hashem and looking to be more understanding of Hashem, whereas many people today, at least in my experience of people, assume they already know everything they need to know. I'm like saying that we have to have that sense of danger about ourselves, that sense of of being prone to go the wrong way. And so you should go and be and, and be humble, extremely humble before God, before Hashem, and you should try to stay away from all these appetites and not get caught up in them and submit to Hashem and, and see it as a trap. So that's a question of how far we should go with that, meaning nowadays we tend to also see the value in the in physical pleasures and how they expand our lives and let us feel good about ourselves. But if we were addicts, if we were literally addicts, we would run away from those things ideally, or we would be caught up in our addiction still. 
And that is sort of, I think, a very good metaphor for what the Raleigh Bag is trying to suggest about the physical side. And we have to work hard. We can't be lazy about it. We can't sleep our way through it. We can't just relax about it and say, oh, yeah, I'll try to control it. So we should run from it. And then, Pasuk, Vav, Lech el nimala atzel, Go to the Nimalat, to the ant, and see her ways. We, the Rabbach says, are tend to be too lazy in our attempts to get wisdom and knowledge and, and understanding of Hashem. And that laziness is a problem. We need to try to conquer it. And one of the ways to conquer it would be to look at the Nimalat and see. She has no officer. She has no policeman standing over her. She has no ruler standing over her. And yet, what does the Nimalat do without any of those coercive uh, aspects standing over her? So in the next Pasuk, the next Pasuk he tells us exactly what she does. Pasuk Chet, Yet all summer, she gathers her food, her bread for the winter, and she gathers it in the time of the harvest. And whereas in contrast, the Pasuk Until when are you going to lie? And at what point are you going to wake up from your sleep? You should limit how much you sleep, how much you hang out, how much you just relax, how much you this, how much you that. So that's always a question, not only in food and not only in the physical, but also in the world of sleep. How much sleep do we need? What is the purpose of our sleep? Is our sleep just to enjoy sleep because we love sleeping? Ralbag and Mishle seem to be saying that's a problem. Whereas if we sleep for the purpose of building up energy and strength, or we can't learn anymore, we can't grow anymore, therefore we need sleep to refresh ourselves, that would be okay. But that's the questions we would need to be asking ourselves as far as this parrot goes. The Rabbag also says that when we talk about not being lazy, the Rabbag says that it's the fact that we try hard uh, to work at wisdom and knowing what Hashem wants and learning what Hashem wants, from there Hashem will give us uh, will give us what we need. And so the Rabbag understands that to to be part of what Mishlei is saying, that that there is a hashkacha aspect to it, and if we just don't sleep, uva pasakam in pasakir alafne, uva kimalek reshecha if you don't do this, poverty will come calling and want, and want, meaning lack, like a man with a shield, meaning it'll be very, have a very great control over you. But the way to avoid this, Rabbi Baga is suggesting, or is arguing, is by working hard at it. And by working hard at it, you will merit, not that you will necessarily, so the Rabbi says, if you work, one possibility is if you work hard at it, you will not object to hard work. And if you get used to it, it will become not so hard and then you'll be able to be succeed. But he says he prefers the, the idea that to the extent that I'm working hard at it, I'm more likely to merit and to uh, get help from Hashem. Now, in our times, I think that people will argue that we know people who work very hard and do not make sufficient money to really uphold their standard of living. So it's a very complicated question. That's not our point here. It's just interesting to watch the Rambag. Seems to perhaps he lived in a time of economic uh Ease when everybody just assumes, yeah, if you work hard at it, you'll be fine. Um, or it might be, along the lines of what the Ram says elsewhere, it might be that he thinks that standards of living are different than we think they have to be. And that some reasonable standard of living can be supported if you just work hard and work and strive for it. But I would also argue, and this is a different discussion, I won't get into it, but I'd also argue that sometimes we put our efforts into the wrong areas. And then, however hard we work, we're doing the, we're making a mistake. And therefore, the fact of hard work is perhaps not always the issue. But that's not where the Rabbag goes. Then they're all, they're, we're going to switch now in Mishle. Pazit Yudbez is going to now talk about issues of lying. Adam Belial Ish Aven Holech Ikshut Pe'an. Evil man, a scoundrel, lives by crooked speech. Right? 
speech. So how does that connect? I might have argued it doesn't connect at all, but the Ralbag thinks it does. Since since his understanding of the first second was that we need to recognize our need to submit to Hashem strongly and fully by virtue of our dangerous physical sides, he says that getting involved in lying is something that people think is not a sin. They think it's not a problem. And yet, it is the kind of thing that will distance us from Hashem and will lead to very great evils, very great problems, very great issues. So that's why, in his understanding, Mishlei turns his attention to this now. That's when you speak lyingly. But you can use other body parts also to mislead. You can do it with your eyes, you can do it with your legs, you can do it with your fingers, you can make all sorts of signs. Or Midyanim Yishalech. And, and at all times, he's got evil in his heart. Duplicity is in his heart. He plots evil all the time. He incites quarrels or fights. That's midanim. And, uh, and suddenly, he will get his comeuppance. He will get uh, negative things will happen to him. Disasters will befall him. And he will be broken. And there will be no way for him to find healing. So, all of this for Rabag is really a discussion about um, about lying and about leading to false outcomes. And he notes in Pasuk Yud Chet that we're going to go through parts of the body in order from top to bottom. Lev Choresh. I'm sorry, I, I skipped a couple of seconds. I apologize. Shesh Heina. Sanei Hashem V'Sheva Tovat Nafsho. There are six that God hates and the seven is Tovat Nafsho is really an abomination to Hashem. So what are the... Six and seven. Here is where the Rabbi points out that these are um, these are the parts of the body, and you start from Ha'ever Ha'gavoa, going down to the lowest one, which sort of suggests the Rabbi assumes, and this would fit in with his intellectual side, that the highest part of the human body is the top, and that the lower down you go, the less human it is, which I don't know that we subscribe to anymore, but it's an interesting model, meaning that the lower parts of our body are closer to the earth, the higher parts of our body are closer to heaven, and it happens to be that we understand our intellect to sit in our heads, which is the top of our body. So that's the way he understands it. And then on Hashem, six that Hashem hates in the seventh, which is an abomination, he says that seventh is show is when a person is high on themselves, arrogant, conceited. This is an important key issue that we nowadays again, I think in our current culture do not pay a lot of attention to, that the Rabbah would say, as would the Rambam and as would many, many others, that having a sense of the fact of yourself as being completely self-satisfied is an, a problem of its own. If it tips over into being arrogant and conceited towards others, it's even more of a problem. And that arrogance doesn't have to reveal itself to somebody walking around saying, oh, I'm better than you. That's a cartoon version of arrogance. But to Allah Nafshel, Azut Netzach is where the person just walks around thinking they have the right to understand and to know and to be and to make rules and they're important. And that sense of self-importance is in many, 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 many Rishonim sources a significant problem because we're supposed to carry along with our senses of whatever we do good and whatever we strive to be good. We're supposed to carry with that a deep sense, and this is not directed at any particular person, each and every one of us, a deep sense of our own failures as a human being as well and those are supposed to balance each other. Yes, I give stuck as much as I can. Yes, I keep Shabbat as I can. I'm raising my children to be Shemri Torah Mitzvahs. I try to be Shemri Torah Mitzvahs. All of those things may be true. And yet on the other side, I'm also deeply, deeply fooled. And I, when I say I, I don't mean myself. I mean whoever is saying this to themselves should, 
I should honestly recognize it. This is what the of the Ralbag is seeing as the seventh which Tovat Nafshal. In any case, these six Ainai remote. Lashon Shaka. And I remember his eyes that are, that feel very comfortable seeing themselves as excellent and good and perfect and important. Lashon Shaka is a lying tongue. Hands that literally says that spill innocent blood. The Ralbag strikingly says it means that they, that they, uh, lie. Lying. So what's striking about that is that the was to be worse than lying. And yet the Ralbag thinks that no, lying Qualifies by for Mishnah calling it Yadam Shavchot Damnaki Lev Koresh Machshavot Aven, a heart that's planning to do evil and terrible things to others. Legs that run to do evil. Pasuk Yutet Yafiach Kizavim Eichakrim Shalech Medanim Bein Achim, and he speaks falsely, gives false testimony, creating fights and quarrels between people. Meaning, if I'm supposed to be a witness on a loan, and the lender comes to me and says, could you come to court and give witness testimony? And I give false testimony. I've now fostered a greater fight between the people involved. And so all of that are the six things that Hashem hates in the Robag's understanding, and the seventh, that this person walks around with a over, over, uh, overweening sense of himself. So we are at this point at Pasuk Chaf in our parak. Um, and we're about to go into a different part of the parak, which is going to talk about different issues. So the Rabag pauses here to say we've had 19 lessons until this point in the book of Mishlei as a whole. I won't go through all 19 because I don't think I have the time for that. Because I don't think I have the time for that. But I will list some of what I experience as the highlights. So one is... Uh, that in the second one, the Rabbach says, it's not worth a person um, trusting that he can understand the truth and the way the world works on his own. That's an important, uh, an important, important issue. Um, in the first one, he had said that the to- it's Torah and Mitzvahs that bring you to the real understanding of it. So that's an important theme. That's the whole question of to what extent can human beings figure it all on their own? The Rabbach is of the opinion that it's not true. And that's striking in our days when people will think science or human philosophy or political science, whatever it is, that any area of endeavor, if people just work at it hard enough, they'll come to real truths about it. Well, I'm rejecting that. Um, another one is that you're supposed to, and as a corollary, I suppose, you're supposed to give kavot to Hashem, you're supposed to think of Hashem as being the source of all this and pay attention to that and seek that assistance in trying to figure out whatever truths one learns about. Then there's a whole issue of Shefa from Hashem, that we get help from Hashem in these kinds of things. Uh, and the number nine for the, for the Ralbag is that, that Hamas, theft or robbery and evil, you need to know that you should distance yourself from them. But he doesn't say you have to distance yourself from them just because they're bad in themselves. They are. But also because they bring bad hashkacha on you. And you should know that it, the Rabbag thinks it is going to alter the course of your life in a negative way if you, if you do that. Then the eleventh for the Rabbag is the whole issue of not following even the paths of Rishayim and the paths of sinners. Meaning it's that you can't even join them for stuff that is not specifically evil. You have to stay away from that whole area, the whole style of life. And that's, I think, also a key issue in our times when I think many people don't 
pay attention to that notion, to that idea, and that the fact that many people who live a certain kind of lifestyle are, in fact, also people whose other parts of whose lives we would reject and object to and see as problematic does not necessarily mean for us that we understand that everything about their lifestyle means it should be rejected. The, an example of this would be, let's suppose somebody lived a certain kind of life in which we saw as morally flawed, and to give a simple example, let's suppose you knew a woman, and this woman had gone off and seduced another woman's husband and got him divorced, that, that woman, and then married him herself, and then <clears throat> lives in public a lifestyle that is very counter to any morality that we think of, but also gives a tremendous amount of money to, to, to various charities. So do you join with her for that or not? I think one of the things that Rabbi is saying is that when you see evil and evil lifestyles, we need to stay away from the whole area. That's his understanding Mishle to see. Then there's the, to, right, to say, I apologize. Um, number 13 for the Rabbi is that you have to always also guard your intellect to make sure you don't get caught up and get to be uh, uh, develop an allegiance for ways of thought that are wrong. The ways of thought are wrong, not the actual thought, not the actual content of the thought. But you have to be very sure that you don't develop intellectual commitment. So suppose there was an intellectual commitment to the idea that, I don't know, that science is the only way to understand the world. And you need to take the scientific approach in everything. And let's suppose it's not true. Let's suppose that physical science of any sort cannot shed light on God in the way that God runs the world in its metaphysical senses, hence the word metaphysical, if you developed an underlying assumption that science was the way to do it, you'd have a problem. That's what the Rabbi is saying. And in line with that, the Rabbi comes up with, and it's several of his standards, of the importance of rejecting falsehood and being annoyed by falsehood and completely staying away from any kind of falsehood. And that's one that I stress because we live in a time when people casually accept falsehood from important figures. And they assume that that's, you know, that's the kind of thing you have to say in such situations that everybody understands that it's right. There's no outreach, for example, if somebody says, I have no intention to resign at the present time, and they resign a day later. Nobody's outraged by the original lie. But maybe by that point they don't care because the person resigned, so might as well let them go. But nobody's outraged by the lie. We see lies like this all the time. Is saying such and such, and we see it and we accept it. So the Ral Bag is pointing out that it's the lying itself is a huge is a huge problem, and it's part of the reason it's a problem because it it limits your ability or it muddies your ability to recognize truth when it comes along, and that is what we're supposed to be seeking and supposed to be looking for. Okay, there are others. Again, I haven't gone through all nineteen, but those are some of the highlights of the Ral Bag's list of these 19 lessons that Mishnah had been teaching us until this point. And now, he turns his attention to Pazakhaf, which for him is a new section. And so the Psukim say, the Pazakh says in Pazakhaf, Nitzor b'ni mitzvat avicha ve'alditosh tarati mecha. Guard my son, the mitzvot of your father, and don't leave the Torah of your mother, the question always is, in these situations, do you just say they're parallel, do you say they're different things? The Ralbag offers two possibilities. One possibility is that mitzvah avicha is the more technical parts of Torah. By technical, I mean specific halachot, specific laws. And Torah mecha are the areas of Torah that are stories and where you learn the lessons you need to learn from, more from stories and broad ideas that don't necessarily have this specific paragraph or that specific paragraph of Shulchan Aruch that comes out of that story. Two different kinds of ways of approaching Hashem, each of them important. 
The other possibility says there are parts of Torah that come directly from Hashem. There are parts of Torah that come from the Sekel HaPoel, your active intellect, and that's more like a motherly form. Either way, it's parts of Torah one, which come in different ways. And that's, uh, I think, a key piece, because I think a lot of times we can hear people who will give the impression that true Torah comes only from the pure realm of Halacha and leave the other parts aside. And that's a gross simplification that the Rabbi is pointing out here. Pasuk Kof Aleph, Kashrim al tamid al You have to always be aware of them, concerned with them, paying attention to them. Um, the Ralbag says Kashrim al which literally means tie them to your heart and bind them around your throat. But the Ralbag says tie them to klei hadibor to your the, to the parts of your body that do speaking. tamid. To always talk about them. Because that will lead you to really come to understand them and to fully get them and then you will uh, grasp them. So that's a, a topic that's also somewhat close to my heart and therefore I'll allow the Ralbag to lead me into pointing it out. To what extent do people that we know tend to talk about issues of Torah or even, or even wisdom more broadly? in the sense of seeking wisdom more broadly, rather than just gossiping, to the extent that people are part of, of political discussions. Is the point of political discussion to really come to understand what's going on, or just to pass the time together and shoot the breeze and have a, an enjoyable conversation? Rolbach is saying that the recommendation here about uh, guarding Torah and mitzvot and wisdom and understanding is that the way to do it is by speaking about it with friends, with whoever you come across, but trying to fill our conversations with content which is oriented towards figuring out the nature of wisdom and what God wants from us and how one lives a wiser life. Next pasuk is, so in the context of doing that, when you're walking on the road, it will guide you. When you lie down, it will guard over you. When you wake up, it will be part of your conversation, or it will talk with you, is what the JPS has. This is a puzzle that's somewhat well-known because people who make siyumim, people will complete a significant piece of learning. This is part of the uh, ritual word said at the end of a siyum, once when the husband is siyum. And the question of what it means is, is, what, is, is a, a continuing one, because it's not an obvious pasuk. There is a Mishnah at the end of Pirkei Avot, which says it's talking about Olam Azen, Olam Abba, that it will stay with you into the world to come, and that's what it means. So that's why it's worth adopting. But the Relbag says that it will help you um, come to understand various things. So he has the following two possibilities. One possibility is that it will watch over you when you lie down. What's when you lie down? So let's say you're traveling, and in the middle of traveling you run out of um, energy, and you therefore need to go to sleep, and the Torah will watch over you, he says, what you had been thinking until then, meaning you won't lose sight of your train of thought, and you will not need to reconstruct what you had been thinking about. Meaning in those days, if you don't, if you're not going to write it down, you can't record your notes, and in the middle of a complicated consideration, you might worry, oh, if I go to sleep now, I'll lose it all. And so that's the way, that's the primary way he understands the Pasuk. Another possibility is that the Torah will keep you from making mistakes. That if you're studying hard and you're working hard, this is not a guarantee that you have in any other 
field of endeavor, the Ralbank thinks that perhaps that's what he's saying here as well. When you're walking on the way, in, in the way of Torah, and you're thinking about Torah, and you're working on Torah, and you go to sleep, it will guard over you that you won't make errors. Pasuk of Gimel, Kinir Mitzvah V'Torah, or V'derech Chayim Tochot Musar. And Mitzvah is like a candle, Torah is like light, and it shows you a way of life, and it shows you Tochot Musar, it teaches you the way to operate, the way to behave. Um, the Ralbag just says, Mitzvah is like a nair to show you the path, and Torah is like a broader light. Here I point out that the, the Maharal, who's not related to this issue at all, but in his commentary on Avod, he calls Derech Chayim, getting it from this Pasuk, because he thinks Avod, chapters, ethics of the fathers, is also a way to show you the right way to live. And that's what Torah broadly is supposed to be. It's not about you do this halacha, that ritual, you keep that Shabbos, that kosher, and then you're done. It's a whole way of being in life, and Nair is like a mitzvah, and Torah is like or. But the Rabbi doesn't go into that at any great length. Lishmorcha me'eshet ram me'chelkat l'shon nechriah. To guard you from an evil woman, from the smoothness of a foreign woman. And the Rabbi strikingly, and this end took him, so I'm going to read them fairly quickly because we're running out of time today, but interesting, the Rabbi reads it primarily, or almost solely, as being about evil women. Mishle, even though it's metaphorical, and even though he's taking it metaphorically, here he'll talk about the dangers of evil women, what they will lead you to do. So others, others commentators would not take it that way, but that's what he's going to do. And um, he goes on to say, Don't long for her beauty in your heart, and don't let her take you with her eyelashes, meaning don't let her attract you. Because people, for a woman like this, for women who are seductive in this way, people spend their last penny until they don't have a loaf of bread. And some married women uh, hunt the souls of, hunt the valuable souls of, 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 uh, of people. Meaning that they, in their interest in being desired, their interest in seducing and having the pleasure of doing that, they hunt your soul because your soul will then be lost. Can you hold fire in your garments and not have, in your chest and not have your clothing be burnt? Meaning that the danger here is very real in Mishle's presentation. Uh, I'm sorry. Can a man walk on coals and not burn his feet? Nowadays, of course, we know people who can, but that's not the point. The point is that, that this married woman, there's no way to be redeemed for that. There's no way to be cleansed of that sin, really. And this is what he means by that. In tshuva terms, you obviously can if you still do tshuva after having done it. But that's not what Mishnah is talking about. Nobody looks down on a thief if he's stealing for the purpose of feeding himself. He's hungry. It's wrong and will punish him. He might have to pay a huge fine. He might have to give everything he has in order to make up for it. But that's not the case in a person who commits adultery or other improper sexuality. He's destroying his soul. He's going to get his embarrassment and shame and, and blemishes on him and on his reputation. And his embarrassment and shame will never, will never be wiped away. Because the husband, the man who's been injured by this, will never forgive this. There's no bribe you're going to give him when you've alienated the affections of his wife from him.
And and that's the way the Rabag takes it. Now, it being so striking, the Rabag takes it that way, because after all, why would he take it that way? Why wouldn't he do it metaphorically about, as we'll see in the next chapter, uh, Rashi will do it in terms of Avodah or heresy, idol worship or heresy, something like that. Why will the Rabag not do that? The Rabag an intellectual, the Rabag a philosopher. I don't know the answer to that question. But I will close with the thought and the idea that the Rabag might have recognized, and I think this is a very Jewish idea, so even if he didn't recognize it, I'm pretty sure others did, might have recognized the dangers of the sexual appetite in and of itself. So if you think about it, we talk about the, we said I refer to this big three, we talk about the three Averot, that are Yehirahim Valyavor, the three sins that you have to be killed rather than commit. There's idol worship, seems pretty clear because you're actively declaring a God other than God. There is, after idol worship, there's murder, seems pretty understandable because you're killing another human being. Obviously, you don't have the right to claim, not obviously, but perhaps you don't have the right to claim that their life is less important than yours, so you don't have the right to put them to death to save your own life. And sexual immorality. So why that one? What is so significant about sexual immorality that would make it something you have to die rather than uh, rather than commit? And I think here Mishle is giving us some sense of that. Mishle is saying that this is an area of life, an area of sin that is much more significant than people tend to give their uh, credence to, especially in the society in which we live, where sexuality is seen as just being a thing that one does for pleasure between consenting adults. As long as everybody's happy, everybody's happy. So especially in that kind of environment, I note this Rabag because it strikes me as as his standing up, or not standing up for, but his asserting, implicitly at least, the vital significance of improper sexuality is exactly the kind of an idea that perhaps we don't uh, understand enough from within Judaism of today because of the kind of society in which we live. And therefore, when we see somebody doing this out of character, because he could easily have gone for a broader idea of philosophy, of intellect, of providence, of all those kinds of things, where we see the Rabag choosing not to do that, it's a moment to pause and to consider and to realize some of the things about ourselves and our assumptions that the Rabag did not share with us. Have a great day.